Uh, so I like what you said in the last episode description. Even for low effort leftist podcast, we're doing real bad right now. <laughs> it's true. It's Our true. publishing schedule is so fucked up right now. We publish like two back to back and we can't get our days right or our weeks or anything. Yeah, we're just mailing it in. We like doing <laughs> this. It's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we, we both like looked at each other when we were about to press the record button like, fuck, our 10 listeners better really want to hear this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh, to all, you know, my fellow Americans. I am tired. <laughs> so, so tired. Uh, so let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm your boy, Alex. I figured out how to get my mic onto the right recording channel this time, I think. We'll find out at the very end of this, but uh, hopefully you don't have to listen to my shitty headset recordings anymore. I promise, but not really. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Jim. I uh, definitely didn't edit and failed to publish the last two episodes on time. <laughs> and, oh, I don't know. I am, uh, we, we've both become self-conscious about uh, ancillary mouth and nose noises on the podcast. So we're doing this thing where we like hold our breath and then like talk real fast in one breath into the microphone and then like take a breath <laughs> like when you're far away from it because we just don't want the feedback. Um and the it's probably just, it's probably reasons. just going to make us sound out of breath. It's going to make it sound like we gained 40 pounds and walked up a flight of stairs before talking politics. So. I have been drinking heavily over the past couple of weeks. So Every day. I could blame that been, as well. Yes. I have been either what? drunk or hungover the entire time. Well, yeah. What was that one just like midweek hangover I had where I showed up to work and NCO <laughs> was like, did you get sleep last night? I'm like, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no sleep. That's it. You got it. <laughs> literally showed up glassy eyed and sweating i don't i probably shouldn't have even driven to work i don't think i was still drunk but i was too hung over to function properly yeah, and like on the drive into work hampers your brain function yeah absolutely yeah i showed up and i had exactly 10 minutes of work to do and i got zero amount of that done i just ended up going oh so fuck this yeah i I've never been so hungover. I think we're talking about the same night. I've never been so hungover that I had to take NyQuil during the mid-morning just to <laughs> pass out and essentially commit like medical suicide just for six hours so I could wake <laughs> up and not be actually suicidal. So Just voluntary ego death so you don't have to suffer for six hours yeah. until you wake up. Like, and maybe you're, Dude, that hangover lasted until nine o'clock that night. Yeah, I remember going to bed yes. still with a headache, just being like, "Fuck me." I mean, but hey, Smedley Butler, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Smedley Butler, hell yeah. So let's go ahead and get into our articles, yeah? Here we yeah. go. Starting it off with some brainworms. This is unacceptable, writes Jake Johnson, staff writer at CommonDreams.org. Progressives reject mansion plan to cut $15 minimum wage proposal to $11. So we all knew this was coming, right? They, all, they started uh, campaigning on the $15 federal minimum wage, and we knew that it was immediately going to get shot right in the dick we all knew. the second they actually tried to pass it. Uh, so it looks like our boy Joe Manchin out of West Virginia said that he could hold up the entire package in the Senate because he wants to pass an amendment that makes it $11 an hour and not $15 an hour, which... Way to fucking go, dude. You're not even a Republican. Like, what What do you gain out of this? <laughs> yeah. Your entire I mean, state, like, I think they they did a study and said their entire state 
like that the minimum wage should probably be somewhere around $14 an hour just to provide people like the very bare basic like substances subsistence living kind of existence uh and he was like no fuck that we're gonna do three dollars less than that so yeah i was thinking about fuck yeah this is like some i might be a matt bernick thing i read that's making me think about this but we've been talking how how many years we've been talking about a 15 dollar minimum wage like i don't know like eight or nine years at this point probably even longer which is long enough for inflation to take effect so we're literally it's the $15 minimum wage is getting walked down by 3% every year anyways. So it's basically become essentially a $10 minimum wage from the time they started talking about it. So yeah, that purchasing power is fucking ropes directly in to my next headline. Senator John Thune opposes $15 minimum wage says he earned $6 as a kid, but that's $24 with inflation as of today like these people these people aren't stupid stupid. oh (laughs) hold on hold on these people are not (laughs) stupid this motherfucker knows what inflation is right he just knows that all of the people that vote for him are stupid are incredibly dumb like dude when the minimum wage was originally passed i want to say it was something like nine dollars an hour is what it would be in inflationary um but if you look at if you look at like where it was at its peak, it would be about when John Thune was making it. It would be the equivalent of twenty four hour, twenty four hours, twenty four dollars an hour today. And if there's any bill that passes that doesn't include like a yearly adjustment for an inflation, yes. then that minimum wage is automatically, like you said, getting it cut back by three percent every single year. And you know, you can you can make a law. This might blow people's minds, but you can make a law that's structured so as to increase the minimum wage in accordance with inflation. But yeah. they don't think that way. They think $15 minimum wage is my campaign promise. I'm going to wait it out until inflation makes that more palatable. Then I'm going to pass it, take credit for it, and then refuse <laughs> to the raise time, it. By the time we actually get a $15 minimum wage, it will be the inflationary equivalent of $7.25 today. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the fucking point. With the next headline, with $15 minimum wage included, House Dems fulfill election promise with the passage of a sweeping $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package. And I just want to say, John Queeley, the staff writer of CommonDreams.org, fuck you. If you think, if you put into your headline that House Dems have fulfilled anything just by passing it in the House, you're fucking wrong. Like, the work is not done until the $15 minimum wage is passed and it has an inflationary like adjustment criteria, right? They, they haven't fulfilled fuck because that's exactly what they want to do. They want to pass it through the house, let it die in the Senate and then rinse their hands of it saying we, we fucking did it. We tried, we tried really hard vote for us in two years, please. It is so easy to imagine the Dems just securing like electoral victory for the next eight years through uh, legalizing marijuana federally and then passing a $15 minimum wage, it would not even be that hard. Like, the bills are already fucking there. All you have to do is sign them. It would be extremely easy. Yes, but there's already a, a model. And you know from the way you said that that that's not going to happen. And and yeah. I know that because in our lifetimes, there's a model for exactly this. In fact, even a more stark failure. When Obama was elected in 2008 and they had a super majority, they had all three branches of government controlled, could have passed anything, and they had a 60-seat majority in the Senate. It was insane. They could have broken up the banks. They could have overturned. They could have won our allegiance for They could generation. have instituted Sharia law if they wanted to. Like, dude, we're so close. Yeah, and the popular support was through the roof. And what oh, yeah. they do? They cut deals, and they bailed out the banks, and then those guys paid themselves bonuses, and the stock market went back up because business, the national interest, business – was doing fine, and then the economy failed to recover. But as far as anyone is concerned who publishes a fucking newspaper, the stock market little line there is the economy. And the Mm -hmm. economy means people go, oh, their their jobs are coming back. Well, okay, that's also fair, but if their jobs came back, they were probably fucking burger-flipping jobs. Yeah, yeah, not able to help these people pay off the debt that they had incurred trying to reach jobs that they had now lost in the 2008 crisis. They came back, yes... Job lost, job created. It was a job that paid less, had no benefits, and was precarious. They could lose it at any time. 
And that that defines the populist wave that swept through in 2016. People were like, what the fuck? This was supposed to be great. It didn't happen. Every time they write a new jobs report and they're talking about how we added like 180,000 do- jobs this quarter and like 160,000 of them were like these l- less than minimum wage, like Uber driving jobs, essentially. <laughs> yes. All right. Moving on to, oh, here's a good one. Uh, by our boys over in Jacobin Mag, the Biden administration bombed Syria before raising the minimum wage, which a fucking course they did. You know where their priorities are. Yeah, this one, this one's actually more sinister because it really concerns. If you're probably, if you're listening to this, you're probably uh, military or military adjacent. The bombing Syria is one of those things that makes you realize that there's not any difference between Democrats and Republicans in any meaningful sense when it comes to how many people they kill or how many people they neglect. Domestic policy is one thing. There are honestly noticeable trends in ideological uh, differences, the things people say, the programs they they pursue. But when it comes to things that are outside the borders of our country that concern things like war, foreign policy, immigration, whatever, they tend to be, they tend to line up. Yesterday, we were treated to a telling contrast. Joe Biden bombed Syria without congressional authorization and then refused to lift a finger when the Senate parliamentarian slapped down a minimum wage increase. It's a pathetic reflection of Biden's twisted priorities. Fucking yes, Queen. What would you say earlier? It's like we like uh, Kamala Harris could just step all over the parliamentarian if she wanted to. And yeah, she's, she's just president of the Senate. Not to. She can just overrule yeah. it. Yes. Which means that the Democrats are complicit in taking this away from you. Don't let them blame. They're they're trying to make it sound like some bookworm, like some pirates of the Caribbean that manages the pirate code. And when someone violates the pirate's <laughs> code, he's in the corner and he's the string breaks on his little banjo thing. And everyone's like, yeah. "Oh, okay, never mind. We can't do that." That's they're acting like this guy that they've no one's ever heard from. This parliamentarian, I don't even know who he she is, walked up and was like, "Oh, well, actually, you can't do that because it's not consistent. And you need to pass a budget law or some shit." That's one horseshit. They had a backroom deal that had the parliamentarian go get up and say that so the Democrats could wash their hands of it with unreflective, yep. uh, uninformed people that would think they could blame it on some nerd. Kamala Harris could also lift a finger and strike this down as president of the Senate. That is the rule, the role of the vice president. And she won't do shit for it, which means they are all fucking in on it. They do not want to raise your expectations for a fucking minute. Oh, yeah. Uh, once they start... Like once people start realizing that the government actually has the capability to do good in their lives, if only the people that were in charge of the government could fucking get off their ass and do it. Like American citizens treatment of their elected representatives would change completely. They would actually start holding people accountable to the actions that they campaign on. And the Democrats don't want that. They just want to be able to say they tried like in that last article and wash their hands of it. Um, yeah, they want to right, represent so like, you without doing anything. They exactly. Want to, yeah, yep. they want to claim to feel your pain on your behalf, and to so that you can transmute it into an electoral process within which you have no actual influence. It's fucking ridiculous. Don't give away the spoilers, Jim. We'll get there. I mean, yeah. No, um, there's nothing that's a spoiler about this. It's just a fucking proof. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so Joe Biden had authorized a strike, right? It was like a. Uh, Let's see. It was a like an arms facility or just like a, a depot or something over on the border of Iran that a couple of the militia groups were using. Um, apparently, this was in retaliation to like a, a contractor getting blown up by a rocket that one of these militia groups launched. Um, I don't know. We've we've done. I think I can't remember. If this is one of our lost episodes, but we talked a little bit about the fucking psychotic contractors and just the shit that they're up to down there. Um, I don't know. Well, the vast majority of contractors. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm not too worried about contract. I mean, someone getting killed is someone getting killed. Like I get it. Um, And I tend to think that people should be mad about American citizens getting killed. Uh, And that should be something you talk about. But like in the same fucking news cycle, they're like, Oh yeah. He also just said MBS is not a problem. He killed a, journalist jamal khashoggi uh cut him up and dissolved him in acid or burn him and whatever the fuck happened ordered it literally a extrajudicial political assassination by a foreign country like what the fuck but no it's a contractor this contractor happens to be conveniently located so when his act when he actually did fucking bite the bullet he was close enough to iran that biden got to do his thing where he gets to show that you know show the iranians he means business 
And by that, yeah, it's yeah. probably it's probably just the people, the fucking foreign policy hawks he hired from the Obama, the Obama era, that are calling yeah, the shots, and he just all nods of the, and hits this button. All says, of yep. the discourse surrounding this particular stuff just makes me roll my eyes. Quote, this proportionate military response was conducted together with diplomatic measures, including consultation with coalition partners. And that's like, dude, that's a fucking West Point graduate who's had his head up with Klaus Swiss's ass for like fucking 18 years talking about like justified war theory and all of that good shit. He just wants to make sure everybody knows that this is a proportionate and just military response. Right. Yeah, he's trying to match the actual like rules of international humanitarian law, Geneva Convention lingo. And and justifying, and it's no not really different from the Soleimani thing. It's just this giant fuck you to Iran, and then he's also flabbergasted that Iran would turn down nuclear disarmament talks. Dude, I remember, I remember talking to some of my buddies out of Afghanistan, or excuse me, out of South Korea that were stationed over there for a while, and they were talking about how. If something were to happen on the Korean Peninsula, all of the units stationed in South Korea would almost immediately get obliterated because they don't have near the manpower or the personnel to actually like support the DMV if there's going to be like a mass invasion. Plus the fact that like North Korea could literally just artillery fuck like the the entire installation in Seoul in particular. Basically, their only role in global affairs is to get rolled the fuck over so that if North Korea actually did something, America could go to war with the justification that like, Oh, American bodies are on the ground. We have to, you know, defend and avenge our boys. And it's the same thing to a lesser degree with this kind of stuff. Like the very existence of these contractors and service members in these countries is in itself aggression, right? Because they exist there to get shot at. That's like their only role because once they get shot at, now Biden can go fucking drone strike people all he wants. He can have any justification that he wants. Oh, he was yep. just responding to defend him. Like, no, he put him there in the first place. The The Syria thing is the – I want to read the thing I had on it, Vox article. So this guy, first of all, I looked him up. Alex Ward uh, wrote for War on the Rocks, which is, if you remember, the – publication that was talking about how bad it would be that recruitment free, would go down recruitment would go down uh, if we offered free tuition yeah tuition yeah yeah if we did if we paid for people's tuition that uh, desperate p- uh, citizens wouldn't join the military to pay for college and the answer is like obviously yes but that's the kind of group these are these fucking foreign policy natsec wonks that think they're cool and probably have some sort of like weird association with the military wish they could have joined but they're flat-footed or some shit um, so or they're like they're like a 17 year major that didn't make the cutoff to hit lieutenant colonel and now he has to go fucking find some like think take board of directors yeah. to be on yeah he has Jesus. to act like he intended to leave all right so he strikes i think we're gonna hear more about this as as biden does more official briefs on what happened but it's a military action it's beyond anything that would have been possible before 2001 but it's because we fucking did the thing that they did with emperor palpatine in star wars and offered him emergency <laughs> powers and now he can he's been doing like 9-11 is the justification for him blowing up some dude at a checkpoint or a weapons facility on the Syrian border. So yeah, your boy John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson spokesperson was the whole like proportionate military response. Blah blah blah. But then there's this guy down here. Some experts are already applauding the president's decision. This was a golden move by the Biden administration, said Philip Smith, an expert on Shia militias at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, because it let Tehran know the new American team is willing to strike Iranian-linked targets wherever they operate throughout the Middle East. This is the administration saying, we mean business. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so... This is what we have instead of a $15 minimum wage. Like, he jumped to action so fucking fast on this. Like, he got to make sure he... It's all just fucking posturing, dude. Yes. None of this means anything. It's it's the Soviet thing, uh, the Cold War thing, where it's all head of state psychology that's driving so many of these things. And by head of state, yeah. you mean... Not just Biden, but the the hawks that he has in his in his inner circle that are yeah, like the national defense hawks, yes. like the the kind of 
three-letter agency apparatus and all of the people that retired out of those three-letter agencies that now go head up think tanks where they publish articles because the only thing they know how to do is speak to their relevance within the National Security Administration. Yes. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. They, they have no other relevant skills. They got out. They applied to some random job to go be a cybersecurity expert and fucking like Boeing or whatever was like, do you have coding experience? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, fuck off. <laughs> and <then> they had <laughs> to go right for a living. It's kind of gross, right? Because this is the, the Smedley Butler thing that made him angry. They have a, a real interest in doing this. And they, yeah. they're they doing it. Like, First of all, they're too stupid to these hawks, these, these heads of state. They're too stupid to actually know what is in their best interest, which seems to me and to I think a lot of people that like the <laughs> that just have common sense and don't want to go get shot for no fucking reason are like maybe we just don't go surround these foreign countries with military bases, bomb them and try to provoke them. Like we're just walking up to every guy in the bar and spitting in his eye and fucking smacking his beer out of his hand and being like what are you going to do about it? To everyone. Yeah. It's just un <laughs> like unfettered provocation. It's just stupid. It's just, like we're just like dying to fucking get in a war because they have this secret desire to be a wartime presidency or something, whether or not they know it. It's just, it's just yeah, unguided. It, they think they have to project strength, a pathological projection of strength being equivalent to being a, like to good governance. Like one good governance is something you do domestically and they're, they are fucking failing at that largely because they have to fund this enormous empire abroad, this globe spanning Massive, was it 700, 800 bases abroad? And the, the largest $1.7 trillion dollar F-35 program. <laughs> yes. Which, yeah, a, a single program, which, and that's by 2070, right? 2070. I think that yeah. it'll take that long. Yeah. And the Air Force just kind of admitted that it just doesn't, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's not a great plane. So like it, it couldn't it even, sucks. <laughs> it couldn't beat an F-16 one-to-one when they, when they test it. It's, Insane. That three of them couldn't beat an F sixteen. Like three on one. It was ridiculous. And it for a long time it couldn't fly in the rain. But that budget <laughs> dwarfs the, the military budgets of just for that program dwarfs the military budgets of, of other countries. Yep. And yeah, it's their their a pathological desire to project strength is miscategorized by certain political theory international relations theories as being the way to run foreign policy. Because they're imbued with some sense of power. When in fact, it's, all it's doing is just destabilizing the world. They're just a giant destabilizing force. And to, to you have to be a world hegemon. To, it's fucking stupid. There were arguments that flew around in college a little bit where they were talking about U.S. foreign policy and kind of the the delineation between two hegemonic states that existed during the Cold War versus one hegemonic state that more or less exists now. Um, and they, they were talking about how like, yeah, ever since the U S became the sole hegemonic superpower over the world, like there has been unprecedented peace across the globe, which if you look at it is a complete fucking lie because in order to reach the conclusion that there's unprecedented peace, you have to ignore all of the wars and genocides that are going on right now. Some of them perpetrated yeah. directly by U S service members <laughs> like yeah they just do like no true scotsman they're like oh that's just domestic strife or something yeah, yeah. or that that was just like a, a was it like a surgical intervention or something like that it doesn't yes. actually count as violence <laughs> despite <laughs> the fact that you killed 24 people in this one strike or whatever the fuck it is you know all right yeah, so let's move on fun. to the next uh article here u.s signs peace deal with taliban after nearly two decades of war in afghanistan and frankly, I haven't read enough about this to actually make any heads or tails of it. I'm not sure it's going to matter at all. Yeah, they're they're already talking about. It seems like even among the people who are on the same side as Biden, who are in like the liberal foreign policy establishment, even they are concerned that they're not going to honor this treaty. And then there's yeah. uh, neocon or more hawkish liberals that are saying that. If we draw, if we if we back out too fast, the Afghan Air Force won't be won't be combat effective in time, and nonsense like that. It's just there's people are doing two things. There's one saying like this, <laughs> they kind of know that this peace treaty is something to brag about as a policy point, but mm -hmm. 
is not going to have any effect. Like I guarantee you there's still going to be people in Afghanistan. And the only reason oh, yeah. it's an obstacle is because he's going to have to vote to send or he's going to have to make the decision to send troops over there. Again, that Trump already pulled out just to fucking rub it in, which is honestly like a good thing Trump did is bring soldiers yeah. home. Fuck me. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so under the terms of the deal, the U.S. commits to withdrawing all of its military forces and supporting civilian personnel, as well as those of its allies, within 14 months. The drawdown process will begin with the U.S. reducing its troop levels to 8,600 in the first 135 days and pulling its forces from five bases. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think this is a good thing. I think we just have to see if if this actually is sustainable because who knows Biden could fucking die in like a year and a half. Then Kamala Harris sends, you know, 8,600 more troops back into Afghanistan or yeah, that'd be fucking great. Yeah. They're going to do the, the weekend at Bernie's thing. He's going to be wearing his Joe Biden aviators everywhere. Mysteriously <laughs> at like indoor press conferences, you know, move his mouth around and tell him, ah, send more troops to Afghanistan. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on. This one I think is kind of funny. AOC calls for independent investigation into sexual harassment claims by Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Are you surprised, Jim? <laughs> Are you fucking uh, surprised at all? Honestly, Alex, I had high hopes for this this upstanding leader who defeated COVID in New York. <laughs> yeah. He did it like, all by himself. Yeah, that book he wrote was just so uplifting. You know, the one he published in April about how he defeated COVID. <laughs> like, that's the kind of leadership we need, you know? Like, you, you, yeah. you know, some, you got to take the good with the bad, I think. So, so one, <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the, uh, let's see, one of the victims claimed that Mr. Cuomo made inappropriate comments and suge suggestions to her in the workplace, including questioning her about her sex life, telling her that he would be open to dating women in their 20s, and opening, openly wondering if she had ever slept with older men. Mr. Cuomo issued a statement on Saturday responding to the allegations. He said he was trying to mentor Miss Bennett and that he never made passes at her or had any intention <laughs> to act in any way that was inappropriate. Dude. Yeah, mentor her like a fucking like one of those teacher pornos. Like, <laughs> yeah, needs Dude, a little Cuomo needs a little be corporal punishment for the sexual harassment allegations. He's be investigated for being a fucking loser, honestly. Dude, yeah, he's such a fucking dumb guy. He's just the just fucking dumb Italian. He's just such a New Yorker. Like, he's just <laughs> God, um. I don't know. I've, Every single a, man in New York yeah. over the age of like 38 is doing this exact shit. Everyone below that just know. does performative wokeness and would never be caught dead looking at the ass of uh, Miss Bennett over here. <laughs> yeah, they actually they haven't been hard since they graduated college. So that's my guess. Yeah. A whopping 46% of Republicans would disown the GOP for the Trump Party, poll says. This is immediately followed wait. up by almost 19,000 Pennsylvania voters have left the Republican Party since the Capitol attack. So we're getting conflicting messages here. Some people are really excited for the fact that, you know, Trump may have crossed the line whenever he told people to uh, storm the Capitol. And this is evidenced by the fact that a bunch of people are leaving the Republican uh, Party in Pennsylvania. Uh, that being said... 46% of Republicans would stay, would leave the GOP for a Trump party, which just like belies the whole fucking thing because you know the Trump party is 100% the Trump, the, the Republican party is 100% the Trump party. Like, yes. there is no separation of the two. And all of these people who are trying to convince us that things are going to turn around for the better have a goal in mind they want the gop to be like a conciliatory party so that whenever the democrats just like kowtow to them in every single measure that they try to push they can justify it by saying like we're working with the people who also have america's best interests in mind as opposed to the reality which all of these people are fucking psychos they would leave the republican party for a trump party if he decided to form one and that's the kind of people that you're trying to win over to your fucking side the the people who would yeah. lower the minimum wage to zero fucking dollars so they can continue paying all of their illegal immigrant people who work for them on the side under the table forever. Just making money for fucking ever. Yeah, it's 
there's like I don't I'm not one of these political theorists about like I don't know if, enough about history to project this out into the future, but like the splitting the major opposition party in half obviously has some issues with it because one it means <laughs> that, like immediately the Democrats don't have to try at all unless yeah. they see a real threat from like AOC and Bernie leading a revolution <laughs> on the left <laughs> and splitting the party. But you know, I, I mean, I would join a Bernie party, but the fucking, that's not, there's just not enough organization in that sense. There's also not enough, like those people over there actually have their like wits about them and they don't think that, you know, their dear leader is a fucking genius fighting pedophiles in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in some massive conspiracy theory that he's fighting the deep state pedophiles. So that would mean that I think the Democratic Party would remain monolithic for the time being. And this party that's fractured in two and a very hectic two pieces because they would be trying to reorganize themselves somehow. I think you'd see an exodus of the remaining Republican Party since they know kind of the party's up for these fucking Federalist types. The ones that, what's the word, like the the guys that went to like uh, Boys State. When they were in high the school, Mitt Romney types. Yes, that wore like khakis and blue blazers. And Mitt Romney type. Yeah, there's fucking like yeah. the goody two shoes that that worship at the at the altar of the market, and they would either just change their stripes and join the QAnon party and or mm-hmm. leave politics, or they would cross the line, the cross the center, cross the aisle, and and become like Jennifer Rubin or any of these people that have started to become super conservative Democrats, which is honestly not a huge, that's not a very difficult line to cross. You can be, yeah. you, the difference between so, a fucking centrist and a, and a, a, a left leaning Republican, that's the same fucking thing. They all, they all have MBAs and, and law degrees and they want to pay people less. That's the fucking, that's the goal. Yeah. So what would probably happen is Mitt Romney crosses the aisle. He becomes a Democrat. The entire rest of the Republican Party just moves far right into the Trump party, the QAnon party. And then the Democrats start kowtowing to this new far right, which means all of our policies start moving right. Just like it always fucking does. (laughs) Yes, it's because that's they've been doing that. Even if this didn't happen, even if Trump had never existed and QAnon was never a thing. And they never stormed the Capitol, and it was just this monolithic idiocy of the Republic of the GOP. It would still be this process of the dem brain idiots that are trying that that still think everything that a Republican does. They just try to be holier than thou. Would still be trying to reach these moderate Republicans in the suburbs. Those people that they've been talking about for fucking seven years now. It's it's the dumbest <laughs> fucking thing. And like, yeah, we really lost there. It's like yes, you're going to go to the places that now hate you, that have made have stopped being apathetic and have started hating you because you literally awoke them from their political slumber just to fucking hate you. That's where you think your chances are in this political process. No, you fucking idiot. How would you go back to the working class people that, like the people in, you remember 2016, they had a margin in each of those swing states large enough yep. to have changed the election of people that voted for Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary and Trump in the general election. They literally we oh, yeah. are hemorrhaging working class voters because they're like, uh, okay, literally, fuck this thing. I want to throw a giant turd in the punch bowl, a giant orange blonde <laughs> turd in the punch bowl. And they fucking did. And honestly, like, that's some that's the ultimate shit post. That's pretty funny. Like, power to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to hit the last headline here. Uh, this is one that should really fucking piss off anyone listening to this headline. Navy veteran died after police knelt on his neck for nearly five minutes. A Navy veteran who is going through an episode of paranoia died after a Northern Carolina police officer knelt on his neck for several several minutes, his family said Tuesday. Angelo Quinto called police on December 23rd because the 30-year-old was suffering a mental health crisis and needed help. He said, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, as they were putting him on the ground. They handcuffed him, and one officer put his knee on the back of his neck the whole time I was in the room, said Quinto's mother. I trusted the police because I thought they knew what they were doing, but he was actually passive and visibly not dangerous or a threat, so it was absolutely unnecessary what they did to him. This is another 
justification for why defund the police is critical to any leftist movement because there's absolutely no reason that your first line of defense against mental health issues is calling people with guns or calling people that their first line of defense against literally anything is just like overwhelming violence towards someone, right? It's the same exact thing that happened with George Floyd. There's a million different ways that we can address any of these concerns, whether it's like mental health professionals that get called, or in the case of like homeless people, or in the case of like drug addiction professionals that get called in circumstances uh, parallel to this one. Fucking duh. You knew this was going to happen. The police exist to exert force over the population, and they're going to do that every time you call them. Rest in peace, Angelo Quinto. You didn't deserve it. I hope that whatever you are going through, I hope other people don't find themselves in the same boat as you. I have a few more, but we are way over time right now. So Yeah, it was just like 40 minutes of news so far. Yeah. So, I think we could. The thing that is the main topic for today because I've, I've been in a period of turbulence for the last uh, few or last month, month and a half really. Alex has uh, taken it upon himself to do all the prep work for most of these things and, and did a lot of the editing as well. So now we're kind of back to a rhythm. I think we're going to try and reestablish a rhythm, even though we're still in a prolonged period of turbulence. So this one fits in nicely. I've been meaning to get around to reading this particular research study that we're going to talk about. This research study is called Testing Theories of American Politics, Elites, Interest Groups, and Average Citizens by Martin Glenn and Benjamin I. Page. This is a study done at Princeton in 2014. I have seen this particular study referenced at least a dozen times in things I've read, articles I've referenced, or people that... I've seen talk to include several times by Noam Chomsky, which is really when I started perking up. Cause if he's seeing fit to list it on as one of his first footnotes, when in his introduction, it's probably a landmark study. And sure enough, it was. Yep. And if you Google this study, you Google Princeton study 2014, cause I couldn't remember the damn name of it or what it was about. It came up right away along with a whole bunch of different news takes on this study. And this study made waves and it made people really uncomfortable. And which is why you probably haven't heard uh, Sears conversation about it because the people in power don't want to talk about the implications of this study. The implications of this study I've highlighted in its little uh, abstract. Multivariate analysis, they did, this is a statistics study primarily, multivariate analysis indicates that economic elites and organized groups representing business interests have substantial independent impacts on U.S. government policy, while average citizens and mass-based interest groups have little or no independent influence. Now, they say this a little more forcefully later on, and I'll tell, talk about how the study is structured, but this is a good one to have in your pocket. I think this one is almost the center of my intellectual orbit right now because it describes one thing that we all kind of know fundamentally, but we never really had the evidence to prove. And here it is, the, the fucking numbers, the dates, the raw, <laughs> the raw intel, yeah, the raw data. Numbers, array, numbers and dates and numbers and numbers and Dates and numbers and I think that's the shit, man. The raw intelligence. I'm not touching this. For the following claim. America is not a democracy. It's that's not even it. a republic. <laughs> no. And they always try to say that, the majoritarian electoral democracy theory. That's the, yeah. the yeah, it you do not have an impact on the public policy outcomes you just don't period yeah. your vote might as well be you screaming at your tv on uh the super bowl sunday that's what it yeah, is it's it's like the same thing where everyone tells you like your vote is actually worth something because so and so election was won by x number of votes uh so you need to get out and vote and it's like okay great you do that you get the person you want elected and none of the outcomes change anyways <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah, it's exactly right. It's pessimistic at first, right? And it kind of gives you some dark, uncomfortable feelings because you've always liked to tell yourself that we're a free country. We believe in democracy. We believe in that the justification for your service in the military or your service in, in any other regard, your participation, your uh, following the laws is based on a social contract that these people will govern you in accordance with the way you want to be governed. And that mm -hmm. the things, the laws we don't like being followed are at least 
though not our own opinions, are the opinions of the majority of our fellow citizens. And this concept is the one instilled in you in grade school, middle school, high school, and college, but primarily the early stages where it becomes kind of an unquestionable thing to investigate. But these guys did it. This took decades. I think they did uh, these studies. These weren't even when things were really kind of out of control. This is this doesn't take into account the the study ends in 2002, all the, the news yeah. pol- policy outcomes they did, which means like prior to 2002, like everything since 2002 has only been an exacerbation of the, of the distribution of wealth being like the 1% now, only, like it's 150 families that own more than like the bottom 50% of the country. It's an insane, it's an insane distribution of wealth. It was more equal in 2002 and this still was stark and striking. So here's here's what the, the the study is structured so as to basically shit on other <laughs> uh, political scientists. They've got they describe four okay. theories, four theories, and these are like the four things they want to test statistically, right? And and these should be familiar to you. The theories describe how do we get public policy outcomes in this country, and the first one is the one that they teach you in grade school, middle school, high school, majoritarian electoral democracy. They say that, well, we're all voters. We have a vote. We vote for our elected representatives, and the uh, policy proposals that these elected representatives come up with usually uh, tend towards the median, the preferences of the median voter because of the way statistics work. Like just that they're going to try to do the best policy for the most number of people so they can get reelected. And if they fuck it up, they don't get elected the next time because they're either punished or, or there's a bunch of different ways to frame it, but it's just good old fashioned American democracy that they think that one. So they test that one. Uh, by itself, it did pretty well. It got like, it, it was significant. It described American politics pretty well, 60%. That's what they said. Right. Then they tested the second theory, economic elite domination theory. That one should be kind of. Express. Right? <laughs> it should be easy to understand. They they took a bunch of measures to make it more gentle because they kind of knew that like if you just take the top like 0.1% of the country, like they're going to always get what they want. But they tested only the top 10%, right? So that's that's literally everyone who's like above $149,000 a year. Like that's, that's, that's one in 10 people. You know, that's a lot of people in this country. And they tested it and they said, uh, that one was even more strongly correlated with public policy outcomes. They tend to get their way too. Right. That's that's an important note. They get their way more than the average average citizen does, right? So it's about like 0.65 or something like that. I forget what the number, actual number is, and that's like 0.79 for the elites. Then they say, okay, wait, that's you know, this is as theory has developed over the last you know 50 to 100 years about American politics. They say, well, that's still not accurate. We have these things called interest groups. Interest groups play a role on the on the outcome of public policy. So they say, let's talk about mass-based interest groups like the NRA or AARP or something like that. These interest groups that represent the average citizen of a certain demographic coming together and saying, we like the Second Amendment, we like our guns, and we're old people, we like preserving our pensions and things for the elderly. You know, we like preserving tax breaks for whatever the fucking, uh, you know, COVID city in Florida they're celebrating in right now. The these interest groups are an important thing to take into account. And they tested it and they said that also actually described policy outcomes more or less reasonably. It's like 0.5 or something like that. I want to get the actual numbers out. Anyways, it's correlated enough for it to be reasonable. Like each of these theories, um, you could, you could make an argument by itself that it, uh, it describes policy. And then the fourth one was, it's a little, it's a little more cynical, just like economic elite domination theory. And they said it's biased, uh, interest group pluralism or something, some, something along those lines. But um, it says that do not forget to include the business group interest groups, right? So the American Farm okay. Bureau or the health insurance lobby or any of these things that we would tend to hate uh, that represent all the things that it represents just profit for business. They're just profit lobbyists. That's all they are. Like any industry, they go to fucking D.C., they have lunches and they give these guys kickbacks and they get them to vote for whatever the fuck they want. Uh, and then agree to not go on a capital strike, which is a whole different topic. That's probably a different fucking <laughs> episode. Um, okay. So those four theories. And all four of those, that fourth one as well, reasonably described in a, in a correlated, strongly correlated, statistically significant way described American public policy outcomes. So these guys, the 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 brilliance of this is that they were like, okay, statistics has advanced. 
we have a giant team. We're established political scientists. We've got a giant team of researchers that will do what we say because, you know, otherwise we won't give them their fucking PhD or whatever. And <laughs> uh, they had this army that was tracking almost 1,800 different policy issues over the course of, I think, 15, 20 years, ending in 2002 something like that. So so a, a pretty big chunk of time. And these guys are literally just scouring the news, all sorts of news resources that had subscriptions, university subscriptions, all these things. And they just kept, basically imagine keep hitting refresh on the, on the news button over and over again, trying to find out what the public policy outcomes were. And they would track the outcomes. And when a decision was made, they would mark it down as being okay. Um, and then they would compare that to surveys of all these groups of average American citizens, like the, the, the median, income voter. They would do it for economic elites, the top 10%. They would do it for the uh, interest groups that represent the average American citizen, like NAACP or uh, AARP or um, NRA, things like that. And then they would also check with the, the business lobbies, the profit-based business lobbies. Um, and they would see like, okay, based on who supported what, and then they would compare that with the outcome, like who got their way, essentially. All right. So, the brilliance of this is that they're like, okay, we have enough data, we have sufficient data that we're going to do a multivariate analysis. We're going to take all those theories, not just test them individually, we're going to smash them all in the same freaking shepherd's pie and analyze that and see how that fucking tastes. And they did. And it was fucking hilarious because they were almost... Tell me, Jim. Tell me. They, I want to know. They were almost... Are my instincts correct? <laughs> well, yes. Everyone's... If you're listening to this, your instincts are correct. If you're listening to this because you're, you're angry and you like the... You like to hate people who are in the military and a socialist because you think we're traitors. Um, you were proven wrong and you looked dumb, but everyone else we looked, we were proven right. So they they mashed it all together into one statistical analysis that did the outcome. And they said, I want to read it exactly as they say it because they do like kind of this snarky political scientist writing, right? And they had to be very <laughs> professional because they're shitting basically on all of their friends. They know all these people. They're shitting on all their friends' fucking deeply held beliefs and their life work uh, when they say it. So you're just picking up in the middle. But the picture changes markedly when all three independent variables are included in the multivariate model four and are tested against each other. The, here's the important part. The estimated impact of average citizens' preferences drops precipitously to a non-significant near-zero level. So it's like less than 5% of the time they actually yes. like achieve any kind of policy objective that aligns with the average person's views. Like, yes. hey, I want weed. Like, what was it? Like, fucking 70% of the country is, like, pro federal marijuana legalization and that's yes. just never going to happen <laughs> i would answer in my own words but i'm just going to read theirs because it's actually way better uh, so here's this the chief predictions of pure theories of majoritarian electoral democracy can be decisively rejected not only do ordinary citizens not have uniquely substantial power over policy decisions they have little or no independent influence on policy at all by contrast, economic elites are estimated to have a quite substantial, highly significant, independent impact on policy. This does not mean that theories of economic elite domination are wholly upheld, since our results indicate that individual elites must share their policy influence with organized interest groups. Still, economic elites stand out as quite influential, more so than any other set of actors studied here in the making of U.S. public policy. Similarly, organized interest groups, all taken together, are found to have substantial independent influence on policy. Again, the implication of these limitations in our data is that interest groups and economic elites actually wield more policy influence than our estimates indicate. So they're talking about like they were trying to be as generous as possible. They literally gave them like a giant handicap on the economic elite domination theory and the business pluralism. And they were like, okay, we're not even going to – like top 10% is a pretty generous thing. It's like that's a very generous description of elite. They're like if they tested 1%, they tested 0.1%, they're like, no, we're literally just going to do like the people that own boats in the fucking Midwest, yeah. <laughs> like those people, like all of those people. And they still Who have this, a retirement account. Exactly. Just an overwhelming fucking uh, influence on public policy outcome. So in their, in their kind of concluding article – or concluding uh, section of the article, they say, when the preferences of economic elites and the stands of organized interest groups are controlled for, the preferences of the average American appear to have an only a minuscule, near zero, statistically non-significant impact upon public policy. Like, your vote might count in some literal, very literal sense that some <laughs> fucking hired extra some has to count. Some human being 
wrote your tally on a piece of paper and then immediately threw that pa- piece of paper into the fucking trash. <laughs> yeah, like you don't even have to have voter fraud. The voting system could work fucking perfectly. The point is that whoever gets elected doesn't have the ability to represent your fucking interests. They get subsumed immediately by the brainworms that run the American lobbying uh, sector, by the, the way that party politics works, by their desire to preserve their influence and position, and the whole thing just keeps on right on rolling. Yeah, I think one of the big things to point out is that what was missing in the individual studies when they were like measuring these independent variables without any context was like, yeah, it seems that every once in a while, the average American voter does get their way. But that's if and only if it is aligned with the interests of the business elites or the uh, the massive like super PACs and everything like that. Yes. So every once in a while yeah. you do get your way, but that's if the NRA thinks you're worthy or that's if like fucking Elon Musk thinks you're worthy of aligning your opinion to theirs. Yes. Know? And what you're talking about was something I was about to get to, which was the interference of the what they say, independent variables. I'm trying to use my fucking scientific method memory from seventh grade you was last time. I believe in you. Yeah. So, uh, independent variable uh, in interference. So they said that there was a there was a surprising correlation and uh, between two variables and a negative correlation between two other variables. And so these things were the surveyed preferences of the average American tended to align like sixty to seventy five percent of the time with the economic elite's preferences. And they'd mm-hmm. say. Okay, that's interesting. And they didn't really touch on that because it's kind of its own study in itself. But they admit that there's really three reasons to infer the power of an elite. They say, not only first do these actors have the ability to shape policy outcomes on contested issues, they have a secondary uh, face of power, the ability to shape the agenda of issues that policymakers consider. So, like, not only do they get to change it once it gets to the floor, Mm-hmm. They get to affect the outcome of the vote. They get to decide whatever gets to the floor, period. They get to decide what issues make it into the public consciousness, what issues we talk about. And then they said the third face of power uh, is the one that's really scary. This is this is our boy Chomsky. The ability of elites to shape the public's preferences, to manufacture consent. Yep. That's the third one. So the goal of these economic elites is to make sure they can maintain their power, maintain the interests that they seek to preserve by making the average American citizen fall in line with them to at least a 50% plus one level where they can just maintain their majority. So the other thing that was correlated that was funny that speaks to cognitive dissonance in this group is the economic elites having preferences that ran almost... Like they were not correlated at all with the inter- the surveyed interests of business interest groups. So like the health insurance lobby, the American Farm Bureau, things like this, they didn't have any correlation at all with rich people's. And you're like, what the fuck? Like I thought that was the whole point of being a health insurance lobby, like paying health insurance lobbyists or paying the American Farm Bureau. And so agribusiness and fucking uh, Pfizer can have uh, massive profits, right? But yeah. the people, the, it literally is just cognitive dissonance. These people, uh, the difference is that economic elites, when you ask them personally, when you ask them in a fucking barbecue, what do you think about Trump? What do you think about uh, politics? What do you think about government spending? They'd say, fucking, I hate government spending, zero spending, libertarian, like, reduce all spending, fuck it, I don't want it. Uh, like, the less government, the better. That's their, that's their fucking idea. But when yep. they're in one of these fucking massive industries, when they're at work during the day, they put on their fucking suit and tie and they go in there and they drive their F-350 to fucking Texas, you know, health insurance, <laughs> credit union, whatever the fuck kind of hodgepodge they have down there. And then immediately nine to five, they're competing for government funding to yeah. literally give like to f- pay their fucking paycheck because they don't make the connection in their head that they're literally saying on their off duty hours, they want uh, no government spending, libertarianism all the way. But when they're at work, they want government contracts non-fucking-stop. Just sucking the government teat, just licking those nipples every single day, day in and day out. And you, not even admitting many, it. Not admitting it. It's crazy. Yeah. How many fucking senior enlisted people do you know? Like, 
I could think of one right off the top of my head that sits next to me every single day that is like, I fucking hate taxes. I hate government spending. Like, none of this should exist. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, bro, where the fuck do you think your paycheck comes from, motherfucker? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's, again, the failure to recognize that you're a beneficiary of a reasonably well-run socialist system. Like, we all have decent health care uh, for the most part. There's problems with it. There's definitely loopholes in it. Don't it? And yeah. people are on there's soldiers on food stamps. There's soldiers that never... And I, and I don't yeah. trust army doctors like my fucking pinky toe. <laughs> well, yes, but that's a development, right? Because you can sue for malpractice now, which is a good thing. Ooh, that happened hey, That happened what, last year, two years ago. Uh, yeah. The so, But the thing that you talked about that I wanted to talk about those two independent variable interferences with was what you said. And this is what they called coincidental democracy. So the... Correlation, when economic elites tend to get their way on policy issues, and when Americans who agree with the economic elites also get their way on, on policy issues, the people who, who study this majoritarian electoral democracy theory about, you know, just what you learn in, in grade school and middle school and high school about how we vote for representatives and they represent our interests and they do what we want and they take care of us. That's, that's the model. That thing it it only looks successful because they happen to be aligned 60% of the time or whatever number it was with the wishes of economic elites, which you said. And that's, they called it in here. They're like, we do not think that Americans would feel very good about coincidental democracy. They would probably like actual causal relationship between their interests <laughs> and the public policy outcomes. It's great. So they kind of close out with this, with this zinger. It's pretty good. They try to do, they, they do a good job of remaining calm while they fucking shatter the careers of all of their friends and ruin <laughs> their belief in their own life's work, which I'm about. And they try to, they try to address counter arguments like we were always taught to do when we write essays. So they say, let's address some of these counter arguments. They say, what do our findings say about democracy in America? They certainly constitute troubling news for advocates of populistic democracy who want governments to respond primarily or exclusively to the policy preferences of their citizens. In the United States, our findings indicate the majority does not rule, at least not in the causal sense of actually determining policy outcomes. <laughs> when a majority of citizens disagrees with economic elites or with organized interests, they generally lose. Moreover, because of the strong status quo bias built into the U.S. political system, even when fairly large majorities of Americans favor policy change, they generally do not get it. A possible objection to populistic democracy is that average citizens are inattentive to politics and ignorant about public policy. Why should we worry if their poorly informed preferences do not influence policymaking? Perhaps economic elites and interest group leaders enjoy greater policy expertise than the average citizen does. Perhaps they know better which policies will benefit everyone, and perhaps they seek the common good rather than selfish ends when deciding which policies to support. There's a period and then a paragraph break and then they do this. But we tend to doubt it. We believe instead that collectively ordinary citizens generally know their own values and interests pretty well and that their expressed policy preferences are worthy of respect. Moreover, we are not so sure about the informational advantages of elites. Yes, detailed policy knowledge tends to rise with income and status. Surely wealthy Americans and corporate executives tend to know a lot about tax and regulatory policies that directly affect them. But how much do they know about the human impact of Social Security, Medicare, food stamps, or unemployment insurance, none of which is likely to be crucial to their own well-being? Most important, we see no reason to think that informational expertise is always accompanied by an inclination to transcend one's own interests or determination to work for the common good. All in all, we believe that the public is likely to be a more certain guardian of its own interests than any feasible alternative. Leaving aside the difficult issue of divergent interests and motives, we would urge that the superior wisdom of economic elites or organized interest groups should not simply be assumed. Dude, they write with the sassiness of a group of people who know they're fucking right. <laughs> like they they own an unassailable position because they did the fucking research and they proved yes. it. They're like, yeah, we're motherfucking right. Like, don't question us on this. Yeah, it's hilarious. No, no shit talking. No name calling. Whatever. They're just like, look, the all these things you believe. Your your precious little believies about market policy and the majoritarian <laughs> and the from the free market your feeties, and the voting. Your, your vote mattering and all these things. Yeah, like we 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 doubt it. 
because <laughs> there's no evidence to support. There's evidence to support the claim that they're all wrong and I'm right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fucking. It's the same awesome. thing with like across party lines. If you look at like the support for federal marijuana legalization or for like bringing a boys home from these fucking forever wars or Medicare for or all for the fifth or Medicare for all $15 minimum wage, like overwhelmingly Republican party, Democrat party people support that shit. Is it ever going to fucking happen? No, <laughs> because, because the economic elites interest, their material well well being is not defined by whether or not you have $15. In fact, it would hurt their bottom line. So you're not going to get it. Sorry about it. Well, there is a solution, right? It would be the following. You said as long as these economic elites' interests and their material conditions are defined by the preservation of that status quo, right? Yeah. As long as that's the case, it wouldn't be an issue. So this is the goal. Attack their material conditions. Prevent them yes. from being economic elites to the extent that Correct. they are. Take things from them. Throw <laughs> bricks through their windows. <laughs> Devalue their property. Yes. Spray paint shit on the side of their houses. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Allegedly, Allegedly do, do, do all yeah. those things. Allegedly do something I'm not alleging. Yeah. The yeah, the the idea this is the reason for organizing for labor movements in any way is because you hit them where it fucking hurts. Which is why an airport strike, air traffic controller strike, when the airports fucking shut down and Reagan did his whole dumbass thing. That hit him where it hurt. Global capitalism runs through fucking airports. Just as much as it does through ports. Mm-hmm. You hit him where it hurt. You threaten their fucking money. Now you have their attention. That's the difference. You can you can protest you can go handcuff yourself to, you know, the door of a bank or something like that. Whatever these, you know, kind of admirable but misinformed uh protest methods do. What you have to do is take their money away from them. Cut off the fucking pipeline from which they draw their wealth. If you're a worker, you put down your fucking implements and you walk out and you say, no, you have something I need, just not individually uh, yeah. from it's me. collective action. It's collectively, which is why my own, our only strength is in numbers in that sense. So if you're, you know, I mean, obviously the military is like legal, <laughs> unionizing the military is like, they do that in German military. Like they, they unionize. It's pretty cool. They uh, Oh, fuck yeah. They get paid overtime for going to the field. Yeah, think about that for a second. Uh, the... If you are a a worker in like an auto factory or fucking Amazon distribution center, holy shit, you know, and you take a second to empty your piss bottle and they fire you for a lack of productivity, like those people, Amazon needs something that you have. And when enough of you walk out, then fucking Jeff Bezos and all those little cronies, then they get all, they run, start running fucking scared. Then they know that you have, you have dammed up the fucking river and they're about to go dry. Yeah, just remember that the ruling class needs you, and you don't need them. (laughs) Parasite! Yeah. (laughs) Fuck yeah. No, man, everything everything you're talking about is just, it's 100% true, and it's it's like the, the data. Numbers and dates and numbers and numbers and dates and numbers and... That backs up the gut feeling that we've had for decades, which is none of this shit fucking matters. And it's not really going to start mattering until you have like an organized labor movement that can actually align people towards like policy objectives and hurt the ruling class or the business interest where it matters. Right. That's why for anyone listening to this, uh, you should uh, organize your platoon into a union and then overthrow (laughs) your platoon leader. (laughs) Fucking loser. They're probably he's not probably, that cool anyway. He's probably a, probably a fucking nerd. Oh, yeah. Okay. That felt good. It, I, it's just nice being right. Because people generally, even the smartest people that you argue with ever, the people that talk down to you, they can't argue with fucking cold hard statistics. All right? They just can't. Yeah. Like, these guys, they put in fucking years of effort. They led an army of research assistants. They tracked this shit. It took them forever. And the master stroke was publishing this shit that completely undercuts well-established, respected political scientists and their entire life's work. They fucking cut their knees out from underneath them, and it's fucking hilarious. And along with them, all these people that claim to represent you fairly as a result of just elections and that the public policy outcomes in this country are a result of your concerns. Bullshit. 
once you do that, once you actually unplug from that fucking matrix and you open up and you see it, you take the fucking red pill, then you realize you actually do have some things, you have some tools at your disposal. They're just not the ones you're used to being told to use. Yep. They want you to believe that your only like avenue through political action is the vote that you get to cast every four years. And if you're really politically active, you uh, you vote in midterm elections as well. Um, no, like you, you have other tools at your disposal uh, and they're more economic and they're more threatening. They're more powerful. Should be aware of those tools. They have to work to keep things this shitty. That's the point. And it's so much more fragile than you think it is. And you can tell that it's fragile by the violence and the frantic nature of their response to any any threat to their, their material conditions. The, you will see that the mailed fist of the state come out to fucking crush you when you actually threaten something it cares about. And that's proof that you're doing something right. Take a look the next time you're actually engaging with the power that you do have, which is your power to not work. Um, take a look at what happens and what side the police are standing on whenever they come to break your strike. Yeah. This is going to fucking happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. How do we want to? How do we want to cap this one off? Um. I yeah. I mean, I don't really like. I don't. There's a lot of foreign policy shit in the news this time. Like, that's good. Like, I think it was. Yeah, this was kind of an interesting week in that in that sense. The way the news stopped being as much about all the domestic goings on and all this mm-hmm. you know, Capitol Hill protests and Trump's acquittal and all that bullshit. It, this was, this was actually like the United States abusing powers. It should never have had in the first place. Like the president specifically abusing powers. He should never have had in the first place. Unauthorized strikes on an Iranian border and direct provocation of a potential military adversary. Like dude, that's you guys. He's, you are the guys he thinks he can fucking, or you guys and gals, right? Because there's at least, that we finally have a a non-male listener on our fucking demographic. Um, so proud of us. Yeah, I'm so proud of us. We're, just look at us. The, yeah, that's the military. Like, this is directly relevant to your future, your well-being. Like, ask yourselves, do you want to be enlisted to do exactly what those guys did in GWAT? They go around, they fucking throw out flattened soccer balls on the best of days and on the worst of days. They kill civilians for, you know, having a gun under their bed. All right, dude. I say we go ahead and wrap this up. Do we have any, do we have any pluggables? (laughs) Not really. No. Anyone who's already listening to this knows where to find our episodes. We still don't have a bit patron or a Patreon because frankly, we just don't give a shit. Uh, let's see. I haven't been posting on Twitter a whole lot, but you can still follow us on at pillow screen pod, um, to, I guess, get the news every time we drop a new episode, because otherwise I'm just retweeting shit that like DSA veteran says or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Um, yeah, cool. There's absolutely nothing going on. We're professional podcasters. You should listen to us more. (laughs) That's all I have. (laughs) All right. Well, We'll see you guys next time. All right? It'll be fun. Outro music. There you go. You said it. I knew you were going to say it. I was waiting Thank you.